friends, welcome back to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. This podcast series furthers our mission to support our community as we seek to promote the advancement of women in the securities finance marketplace. We hope you leave today with a broader perspective or ideas about ways to further your network and career. Or perhaps a deeper education on important business changes in our marketplace. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome, everybody, to the next installment of the Women in Securities Finance Perspectives podcast. My name is Michael Daly. I'm the Vice President and Relationship Manager within Goldman Sachs' agency lending business. And for those of you who listened maybe about eight or nine months ago, I was fortunate to participate in the same podcast for Women in Securities Finance last year with a couple of industry colleagues, Marty McCabe and Donovan Brown, where we really scratched the surface of the conversation of diversity in our industry. And therefore, we wanted to use today to expand upon that conversation. And to do that, I brought two industry colleagues to join, where we will attempt to discuss how we each navigate our own authenticity as three gay cisgender men in the industry. Uh, And so without further ado, I'll do some introductions. I'm joined by Larry Alba, a Managing Director and Head of Operations at Eastside Lending and also joined by Kyle Kolasing. Kyle is a director in the securities finance at RBC Investor and Treasury Services, where he leads relationship management and business development for RBC's securities lending program. So gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So maybe to start the conversation and just a general question to each of you, and maybe Kyle, we can start with you. How do you manage to bring your authentic self to the workplace and the evolution of that and really kind of how you navigate it for yourself in your firm in the industry? Yeah, you know, if we're going to speak about authenticity, I have to be authentic myself and say that it still today continues to be somewhat of a struggle. You know, I have been an openly gay man for well over 10 years. But when you start talking about work, It's very, very different from private life with friends and family. There's other considerations. There's other factors at play. And listening to the first podcast last year for me was such an awakening moment of realizing that there are other people in the industry that identify like myself, that I have peers and other colleagues within the industry. And it made me start thinking about my own story and, you know, potentially helping others in terms of how that podcast helped me. And authenticity is so important in today's environment, just from bringing 110% of yourself to work and having that ability to be yourself in every facet of your life. So for me, it's been a journey. As you can hear in my voice, I was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, where homosexuality and sexual orientation is a little bit behind the curve. It was a different approach growing up, not necessarily as accepted as it is here in Canada or in North America. And while progress has been made, it still continues to be a little bit behind the curve, as I said. So stepping into Toronto and coming to Canada in my early 20s, I came with a little bit of that baggage came out fairly late in my life and navigating through work has always been somewhat challenging. So I've been part of the securities lending program here at RBC Invest and Treasury Services for just over six years. And prior to that, I was open with a group of my colleagues that I worked with in various roles. 
But coming into a trading environment, coming into a markets and capital markets environment was very, very different. And so for quite some time, I really wasn't there. I really wasn't at that comfort stage in terms of being 100% of my authentic self until I had conversations with the leadership of the team at that point in time. And that's the key here. Through empathetic leadership that was demonstrated to me through Mary Jane Schussler, who was the desk head at the time, and Don Duramo, who led the program and who was my direct manager, they really made me feel comfortable by asking me about my life, not necessarily pointed questions, but setting a comfort, setting a tone of kindness and a setting that was really inducive for me to then open up to them and share with them not only aspects of my life in terms of friends and social and whatnot, but to that aspect of my life. And that was such a barrier that was broken down for me because after that, I was bringing 110% of myself to the job. And so for me, that's the importance here. It's the empathy from leadership, but it's also collegiality with open-mindedness. It's collegiality with understanding and compassionism. Because you would like to think that in today's environment, this is a normalized topic and it's not jarring as it can be. But in certain circumstances, for myself included, and this doesn't apply to everyone, it can be. It can be a very scary topic to navigate. So that's kind of how I was able to navigate my own authenticity at work. And Kyle, it's interesting. I mean, we come from fairly different backgrounds and how we were raised and maybe some of our cultural differences and how that impacted your authenticity and bringing yourself to work. It's interesting that when we talk about our professional lives, it's fairly similar in that we both felt comfortable coming out and being ourselves by having a top-down support approach where either our managers or our mentors encouraged us to be ourselves and have those conversations with them about whatever it might have been. So I think it's interesting that we have different backgrounds culturally and, and where we came from and how we were raised, but on the surface from a professional standpoint, it was really the support of others that encouraged us to be ourselves and kind of do that for ourselves and for our colleagues. 100%. And for anyone listening here, this is for all sides of the conversation. It's for pairs of ours that identify like ourselves to know that one, this is a universal challenge. It can be a universal challenge. However, for the other side, it's maybe people don't know how to approach conversations in diversity. And, you know, we're talking about sexual orientation here specifically today. But it extends to diversity of race and ethnicity and culture and thought. So it can be universal in that concept. Larry, pivoting to you, you've been in the industry for, geez, what was it, 20, 25 years? And I'm sure you <laughs> Careful, seen, Mike. But it, it's important. I mean, it's different. You've seen the evolution of your comfort, navigating your authenticity in the industry. But maybe can you give a little bit about your background, the track that you've taken, and maybe how you've seen some things change over the years and how you navigated those changes? Sure. So I started in securities lending specifically in 1994. So I'm dangerously close to the 30-year mark. And it's certainly been an evolution, both in the industry and in the world in general, as well as from my personal perspective. When I started at my employer at the time, I wasn't really out to my friends or my family or certainly anyone at work. And over time, that started to change with my friends first, 
family second and work was the last place, which I think is typical in a lot of industries, but probably very typical in financial services. But I think over time, as I grew as a person and I became more comfortable with myself, I just started sharing more with people. And by and large, the more that I did that, the more I got back from people. And I think that oftentimes it's because people in our position don't talk about their lives or they're resistant to do that. People don't know what questions to ask and people don't want to be invasive and they don't want to make assumptions. And so you can look at that as, well, the onus should be on them to do more, but I think it's a two-way street. And, you know, there was a long time in my career where it was always sort of a testing process. It was, well, I would never say anything specific about my life unless someone gave me some sort of signal that they would be receptive to it. You know, whether they had a gay brother or whether they went to a pride parade, there was something that gave me a signal that I could be more authentic. And then at some point I realized, well, that's kind of not a great way to go through life, right? That I wasn't controlling my own narrative and frankly, just wasn't being authentic. So, you know, that unwound over time and similar to some of Kyle's thoughts, been fortunate that I've worked with some great people over the years that have helped me in that process. And I appreciate that help. That's so interesting to hear you kind of talk about unconscious bias in a sense and you trying to check others and seeing where they're leading and kind of help you lead those conversations. But it actually reminded me a little bit, and I'm kind of looking around the screen here in that we've all have or currently have touch points with clients. You know, we've been our, our relationship managers and not only navigating authenticity in the workplace with your colleagues is so important, but I think being able to do that to a certain extent with your clients and having the support of your organizations is also really important and significant. And when we were prepping for this conversation, each of us have handled it a little bit differently in the past. So Kyle, when you think about how you handle this conversation, and even if you do handle the conversation with your clients, you know, what's your approach and how do you go about doing it? You know, that's the next layer to it. So this topic is challenging from multiple different angles, you know, it starts off with your family, it starts off with your friends, it starts off with your professional colleagues and managers. And being in a relationship management role, that adds another layer of thinking, thought processes. Well, you don't want to endanger a deal or you don't want to endanger a relationship because of what you might conceive to be a perception. So in my experience, very much like what Larry had just mentioned, I would often look for those cues, for those acceptances subconsciously to be fully open with my own self in terms of my authenticity with clients. However, in most cases, I tend to avoid that topic of conversation. So while I'm bringing 100% of myself to the job and to the office, in some instances, I do also hold back myself when it comes to that external side of the job. So for me, listening and having those conversations in preparation for this podcast, I would love for you to share your side of it as well, because yeah. the way that you approach relationship management, for me, was a light bulb movement. It was such a learning opportunity that I'm hoping that others who might be in the same situation can learn from that as well. It was interesting when we were talking about this because I had said it and I almost saw a light bulb go off in Kyle's head when we were having the conversation. But full disclosure, it has been an evolution for me over the years. I've been in relationship management my entire career within securities lending. So it's certainly been something that I've worked on over the years. But in general, the approach that I've taken is 
I'm the one that tries to lead the conversation and I'm the one that tries to create my own narrative. And I not only do it for my clients to make sure that there's no potential awkward issues or conversations or unconscious bias, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but I do it for myself. I want to make sure that I'm not making it awkward for myself. And I think by having those open conversations and letting a client or a new prospect know exactly who I am is really important to me. And I do it in a very innocuous way. Typically what will happen, and I've seen this many, many times, either on the phone or if we're at a client dinner or an industry event and I'm meeting somebody for the first time, you always end up talking about the weather or the weekend or a quick conversation. And I usually will very quickly at some point say something along the lines of my husband and I did X, Y, Z this weekend. And it immediately shuts down any awkward conversation after that point, because everybody knows exactly who I am, that I have a husband at home, that I'm married to a man, and it quickly moves on to other things. Now, I will say, you know, I'm fortunate enough to live in a place where I can do that. I'm fortunate enough to work for an organization that stands behind me 100%. So I have those backstops to feel comfortable doing it for myself, but I usually am very open and honest up front about who I am, what my situation is, so that I can move on to more important things, which is business at hand. And, you know, for me, hearing you say that the light bulb moment was taking it into your own control and for your own ability to run the conversation, lay it on the table. That was the learning moment. And it might sound pretty trivial, but it was something that I just didn't think about. So it's a learning opportunity. I'm hoping that others learn from that. And the other thing is, it's not a one size fits all approach as well, but it's having that capability to think of those actions, to take that control into your hand, to have that conversation ahead of time to break down any type of barriers. Yeah. And it's interesting. We've had a lot of practice. We are part of a group that is not the majority and people will take unconscious bias and it's rarely malicious, but whether it's on a plane, sitting next to a stranger, a train, you're in a restaurant, you're sitting next to somebody at a bar. I think all three of us have had to go through our adult lives with that thought in the back of our head where you're always making the decision to say, Am I going to talk to this person authentically and about who I am 100%? Or is there some wall in between that just makes it so that I'm either not feeling comfortable or I don't want to engage in the conversation? I think we always kind of have to make that pivot decision all the time in our lives. And that's something that you just get practice with for better or for worse. And I know, Larry, you've been in relationship management, client service roles, and certainly as head of operations at ESEC, you're speaking to clients and prospects all the time. How have you navigated this conversation outside of the firm? Yeah, again, like we've talked about, it's certainly been an evolution, but I think now I'm at the point where I don't adopt the scenario that you do in terms of being more direct about it, but I certainly don't hide it. If the conversation is going that we're talking about relationships or what people did this weekend or any other topic, then I talk about my situation and my partner and authentically what's going on in my life. So it's certainly a much better situation today than it was 30 years ago. And I'm completely comfortable with it. And it either shuts down the conversations because people are not comfortable with it, which is fine, or it continues the conversation as if we weren't people coming from different perspectives, having a conversation, right? It's just, it's completely normal. I've also just been thinking as you guys have been talking, 
you know, Kyle mentioned that he's part of an ethnic minority group, and we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion belonging committee at ESEC Lending, which I'm lucky to be part of. And the way that we rolled that out was everyone had the opportunity to sort of apply for that position, right? Anyone that was interested and what you brought to the table. And what it made me reflect on is, yes, I'm interested in that topic generally. It's very personal to me as a gay man. But at the same time, I recognize the fact that I'm also a relatively clean cut, older white gentleman and very much acknowledge my white privilege. And it's been my white privilege for a long time to allow me to sometimes skirt some of these ideas of being gay. And it makes me wonder if the people that have come out to and that I talk to have been very much receptive. But I wonder if that's because there was a period of time that they didn't know that and they got to know me as a person. So it landed differently. I think it's all interesting perspectives around this broader concept of inclusion and belonging, which I think are the two letters that resonate the most with me in the DEIB description. So this is an amazing segue, Larry, that you're handing up to me. For all intents and purposes, you could present as a straight white male and nobody would ever question it. But I also think with that can come a little bit more of an enhanced conversation around unconscious bias and somebody making an assumption about who you are based on how you present. So I think this is such an interesting part of our conversation that we're going to hopefully move on to is by being authentic and navigating that authenticity for yourself and maybe by potentially coming up about who you are at a first conversation with a client prospect or a colleague, you're almost shutting down some of that unconscious bias from the start. And I'm wondering, how do you deal with that for yourself? Or is it something that you've seen fairly recently where you've been in a situation where somebody's made an assumption about who you are and how you're presenting based on how you present, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. I haven't had anything recently that happened, but you know, I do remember a circumstance that my former employees was you know, 20 years ago at this point, but it's obviously stuck with me where someone, when I had come out to them, they were surprised that I was gay. And I almost felt like they were saying that as if that was some sort of compliment or something that I should embrace, when in reality, it was almost a little bit hurtful because it was both, well, you never really knew who I was. And then I would feel guilty that, well, I never presented who I was. So it raised all these issues. And in the end, you try to just move on from it and say, well, you know, this person was accepting and that was great. But I imagine that people are struggling with that all the time. And again, different than other minority groups, there is more of an opportunity to hide behind things. A person of color doesn't have that opportunity, right? They come into work, they are a person of color. Everyone recognizes they're a person of color. If I can add to that, you know, I think, Larry, what you were speaking to just hit the nail on the head where in multiple ways. So one, this is an evolution. It's an evolution of a discussion and it's an evolution of perspectives. And those sentiments, those experiences that you just described, and I don't want to speak on behalf of Mike, but have certainly happened to myself as well. And it is sometimes a little bit difficult to process, to think about, but hopefully, you know, through discussions like this that are out for all to hear, we get to a further place in the evolution of diversity in the sense that hopefully there's greater normalization and there's greater awareness 
so that maybe some of that subconscious bias no longer exists because it has to also be unlearned. And a lot of people are trying to unlearn subconscious bias, inclusive of myself in various different ways. The other side of that is beyond just having an expectation of who you are, who you might be, it can pop up in commentary. It could pop up in social interactions in jokes and whatnot, which can sometimes be even more difficult because you don't want to interject in a manner which might come off badly to someone. And Mike, to what you said, a lot of these situations are very rarely ever maliciously done, but it is subconscious bias at the end of the day. And so for me in the past, when I wasn't necessarily bringing 100% of my authentic self to work, I may not have challenged those types of views, those types of comments. But in today's environment, where I'm so much more comfortable being myself in the office and in the work environment, I would try to use that as a learning opportunity, try to provide an alternative view as to maybe why something else could have been said, or maybe why this could be jarring or potentially offensive to myself or to anyone really that identifies on any level of diversity. So it's an evolution of perspectives that hopefully we get to that point of greater normalization. Yeah, before we move on, I can share a fairly recent incident that I found myself in. And again, it certainly wasn't malicious and it certainly wasn't something that somebody was meaning to do on purpose. But, you know, somebody who's been very out in the industry for the past 10 to 15 years, I found myself at a larger industry event sitting next to two very nice people who didn't know who I was. I didn't know who they were. We were kind of smashed together at a client dinner. And very high level conversations were happening about what was going on around us. And there was an assumption made that I was a straight white male. And again, it was very surface level. It wasn't a malicious comment, but in that instance, it was loud in the restaurant and I just didn't feel like correcting or engaging. So I just let it go and kind of moved on. So I think it's really important to mention that because... For somebody who's as open as I am, I do find myself in situations from time to time where there's an assumption made about who I am. And sometimes I'm just too tired to deal. And I think by having these conversations and doing something like this podcast, our hope is that certainly a lot of that unconscious bias can maybe be eroded over the years and through additional conversations. But I think we, everybody on this call and the industry, we all have a lot of work to do collectively to make sure we can start to eliminate and unlearn some of that unconscious bias that Kyle spoke a little bit about. But that's really why these podcasts in general are so, so important for visibility and for the industry as a whole. Well said. So I know that we've been talking a lot here, but maybe just to kind of go through a general discussion, Kyle or Larry, anything that you have to add in terms of what you can do or what we can do collectively as an industry and our collective firms continue to foster an environment of inclusivity and diversity and comfort across our colleagues and our industry participants? You know, I think we're doing it. I think through these conversations, and I have to applaud Women in Securities Finance for providing the platform and the direction across our industry to have these types of difficult conversations and hard conversations, but meaningful conversations that will help with things like subconscious bias, help with bringing one's authentic self to the workplace because it's so important. 
I think we are doing it. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I really wasn't heavily involved in diversity ahead of last year. And being someone that is of mixed race background, it does identify as a gay man. After listening to the podcast, I've decided that this is something that I would like to continue to speak about within the industry and gain some momentum as best as we can. So this is where we start. We start with furthering the discussion and at industry events as well, as much as we can to continue. It's not only for people that identify on the diversity spectrum, but it's for everyone. It's for everyone to understand how best to approach such situations when dealing with team members, staff, and colleagues across the industry. Yeah, Larry, anything to add? I think Kyle hit it on the head. So I guess I'll just say, I think we just need to continue to have the conversation. People need to continue to talk about themselves and in a productive and an authentic way. And I would encourage anyone who's a supporter to listen with an open mind. And I'll also give a shout out to the Women in Securities Finance, who's done a great job in raising awareness of these issues and appreciate them giving us this opportunity. Yeah, thanks. I'll just end by saying to, to any listeners who either aren't feeling comfortable or need some perspective or, or at least some allyship, myself, Kyle, and Larry are more than happy to continue those conversations. So please reach out, find us on LinkedIn or through our firms. And again, we'd be happy to have those conversations. So we'll end it there. You know, Thank you to Women in Securities Finance for giving us the platform. And I'm sure we'll all speak soon. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. And a big thank you to our featured speakers from this episode. And of course, all the active Women in Securities Finance members that are driving real change in our marketplace today. If you have ideas for future episodes or would like to get involved, please visit our website or you can contact Women in Securities Finance via LinkedIn. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters and do not reflect the views or opinions of their respective employer organizations. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal, tax, or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.